0: Well, this is the end of our first full day of practice and the first evening, I always like to, in some way, ask the question, what are we doing here? And then try to answer it in some way. And there's a lot of different ways to answer this question or to try to work with this question of why are we here? Why are we practicing? One of my most favorite is one of the models that the Buddha taught, known as the Five Powers of Heart. And so that's what I'd like to talk about tonight, the Five Powers of Heart. And what I would like to do is to speak about each one a little bit. They include uh, faith or confidence effort, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. So I'd like to talk about each one. And then I would also like to talk about how they need to be balanced. Because if they're out of balance, our, um, our life actually is out of balance. We could say our practice, but our practice being our life is out of balance. And then I would also like to talk about how Uh, One feeds into the other. So how they're connected. But I love this model. I think it's, um, I mean, the Buddha obviously was unbelievably brilliant. And I think this particular model um, reveals this so clearly. So the first one being faith or confidence. Faith or confidence being really um, the foundation of practice. There has to be some degree of faith or confidence in our life in order to even begin the practice. Some degree of inner confidence, some degree of inner faith, and also as well, some degree of faith or confidence that something happens when we practice, some degree of confidence in the possibility of freedom deepening in our lives through the practice. When I was quite small, my family used to move around a lot and uh, do what looked like a lot of different fun things, things like camping and, you know, going swimming and um, uh, going to the zoo and things like this. And I wouldn't want to speak for anyone else in my family, because I'm sure that it was fun for some members of the family. But for me, because my inner experience, my memory of my inner experience is that uh, there was there were a lot of moments of of um depression and misery, um I would look around me and I would look at my family kind of seemingly having a good time, and I would look at other families seemingly having a really good time, um, you know, playing with the animals or. Or, um, or going swimming or doing all these fun things, and I would wonder: Are are they really happy? You know, are are these people really happy? Is my family really happy other than me? And are these other families that I'm watching doing, um, you know, supposedly fun things? Are they happy as well? Because I think that the confidence that freedom is possible, or that um, you know, enormous happiness and peace is possible, is something that grows and develops as we practice. It's not something that happens in a magical way. It's not something that some people have and other people don't. Now, we all have this seed of confidence within us, this seed of um, confidence knowing that true freedom is a very real possibility for us. And so it really is a case of nourishing it and protecting it and allowing it to grow, allowing it to develop. Not thinking of ourselves as being full of confidence and hopefully not thinking of ourselves as being lacking in confidence either. But recognizing that simply because we're here, you know, simply because we've left in this context, each one of us has left behind the comforts of home, the habits, the usual kinds of foods we get to eat, our friends, our family, and here we are uh, living in silence with one another, some confidence, some inner confidence is obviously cooking, is obviously here. So, you know, it's not that we have to have an enormous amount of confidence, but we do need to take an initial leap. There has to be a little bit of a leap in... um, in practice, in order for the practice to deepen. The Buddha said very clearly that not no belief is necessary, that it's not necessary for us as practitioners to believe anything in particular, or to adopt any particular belief systems, or to exchange our belief systems for another set of belief systems. The Buddha said so clearly, pasiko," which really just means, come and see. Come and see for yourself and you'll find what I have found. Huh? Just that. Just so simple. And, uh, and as we practice, we see that it's so true. Come and see for yourself so that you can find what I have found. It's really very much an invitation in no way is it an expectation or a demand. It's really an inv- invitation that uh, that was being offered to all human beings who wanted to hear it, who were open to hearing it. Always in our practice, we are opening to the unknown. No matter how deep we go in practice, we're always opening to the unknown. That's kind of a definition of of continuing to practice. Yeah? So faith or confidence is something that is always necessary. Always um, always has to be kept alive in, in our practice. The next is that of effort. And another way to talk about effort is earnestness or diligence or a sense of quiet determination. Nisargata Maharaj, who was a very wonderful yogi who died some years ago, spoke about how earnestness is really uh, the key ingredient in practice. That it doesn't matter what technique one practices, there's tons of different techniques that we can try. and you know hopefully we settle in on one or one or two and and try to move with it the best that we can but what technique we choose is not so important what is much more important is the diligence or the earnestness or the willingness that we bring to our life the willingness to turn away from habit the willingness to turn away from our usual ways of finding comfort that may or may not work, and the willingness to turn towards the present moment. That's the effort that's required in practice, is the willingness to over and over and over again turn towards the present moment. So noticing the various pathways of the mind noticing the various habits and the various ways that the mind gets stuck, the various ways that the mind tends to dwell on the same subjects over and over and over again. And the willingness to very, very gently, with this sense of quiet determination, the willingness to over and over again let go. Let go of the familiar dialogues. Let go of the conversations that we have endlessly. You know, let go of the conversations that we have with ourselves. Let go of the conversations that we have with others when, you know, they're not even around to converse with, and yet we're having what seems like a very real conversation. We obviously, we get into arguments, we get into fights. It's very one-sided because we're the only one talking. The other person doesn't really have a chance to say their say, so we can, you know, put words in the other person's mouth all we want. Most of the time, we don't even put words in the other person's mouth. You know, most of the time, we're really just saying what we want to say because we're the, we're the center of it. But the willingness, without judging the byways and the habits that we get into, without seeing it as so personal, as such a, a personal problem or a personal insult, but really just knowing that um, the mind wants to dwell over and over again in the same places, and we we begin to see in practice what these places are. But the the willingness to very, very gently, over and over again, let go and turn towards the present moment. In a sense, we could say that we're turning away from instinct. The Buddha said that practice is like swimming upstream. It's going against all um, the ideas that the world has. And so it's it's always something that's quite radical uh, to do, to go upstream, to go against the ways of the world, to go against the predominant belief systems about how peace occurs or how it's possible to find uh, security, how it's possible to find happiness for ourselves and for others. And so in a sense, in practice, we're always going against instinct, because we learn our instincts through the popular ways in the world, through our education, through our conditioning. The instinct grows and grows and grows, and oftentimes it's not a true teacher. Yeah. It's not really revealing much wisdom to us. Our instinct, most of the time is to try to get as much pleasure as we can, to try to accumulate as much pleasure as we can, perhaps thinking that if we can accumulate enough, we'll be able to live a life only of pleasure, and as well to try to push away pain over and over again, to try to get pleasure, to try to push away pain. Definition of being a human, nothing wrong with it, obviously. It's a big problem to try to want pain and uh, to push away pleasure. Now, that's not the direction we want to go into in practice. But instead, to see this cycle of pleasure, pain, neutrality, pleasure, pain, neutrality, and through practice perhaps penetrate through the entire circle, find a different way to hold pleasure, to enjoy pleasure without having to accumulate it without having to make it last, without trying to get more out of pleasure than it can offer us. To see if we can enjoy it as it lasts and then let it go. To see if it's possible to bring a certain degree of steadiness or equanimity to times when there is discomfort or pain. Not in any kind of masochistic way, but to see if we can enlarge our life Enlarge our world by not being quite as afraid or Intimidated when we find ourselves uncomfortable To not be quite as as afraid when we find there to be some degree of pain Of course we want to always skillfully work with pain and sometimes the skillful thing to do is to move away certainly it with physical pain to Move one's posture, to shift one's posture, is often the skillful thing to do. But our degree of fear or terror, this is something, the psychological fear or terror, this is something that we can uh, perhaps try to move into a different relationship with to see if it's possible to hold both pleasure, pain, and neutrality in a bit of a different way. And what this would mean is, again, this effort to turn towards the present moment, because in the present moment, either pleasure, pain, or neutrality is always occurring. And if we're only wanting pleasure and not being willing to open at all to that which is mundane or ordinary and that which is uncomfortable, we're really living in a very, very tiny amount of life, we're really experiencing just a very small fragment of life instead of its totality. And so in our practice, this, this um, willingness to let go, to disengage from the usual habits and patterns, you know, very gently, not with any degree of harshness or striving, just recognizing that uh, happiness doesn't lie where we think it lies. It's only possible to experience It's only possible to offer to others in our willingness to be here, to be ourselves, to live in our life exactly as it is in its totality. We can see that, to some degree, we've lost touch with ourselves, we've lost touch with the energy within the body. We've lost touch with the enormous energy within the mind, the enormous creativity within the mind. And the reason we've lost touch, perhaps, is because of living in an habitual way on the level of thought. You know, really living on this one dimension of reality. And our whole practice, our whole meditation, has to do with coming down out of the chatter, out of the verbalization, out of the concepts and the beliefs the beliefs and the conclusions we so easily come to about how we are, about how others are, about how this world is, and instead trusting ourselves to come down very lovingly, very gently, very gradually, not skidding to a halt or, you know, coming down in any kind of a harsh way. But gradually, 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 simply through our willingness to be here, our willingness to be present, we come down into our life. We come down into an embracing of life itself. In our willingness to let go of the discursive mind. And it's not as if we can wish it away or control what the mind is doing. I'm not suggesting that at all. But the effort in practice has to do with when we find ourselves um, deliberately fantasizing or deliberately um, describing a situation to ourselves or deliberately coming to some kind of a conclusion, the willingness to to let go, the willingness to touch something that is nonverbal, a nonverbal knowing within us. The more we open, the more we touch the present moment, the more energy is actually available to us. We want to look in terms of effort at what our style is. We all have particular styles that we've learned in life. For some of us, our style is to be very, very harsh and very much striving and having to do everything in a very, very rigid way. Um, hearing the instructions being to be with the body, be with the breath, and when the mind is anywhere else feeling guilty, you know, feeling like we're wrong when we can't help it, it's just how the mind is. and then contracting and, and getting very tight. And if so, we want to see if we can relax a little bit, really to to work with relaxation. Uh, you, you, you know you can take this too far. There used to be a book with the title of, you must relax with three exclamation points, which kind of got one a little hyper to simply read the title of um, so nothing like this, you know not to, not to work on things, you know, not to work on ourselves or work on relaxing as a new thing, but instead again, this sense of, of settling very, very gently and, and gradually into ourselves, uh, seeing if it 's possible to allow. Um, Uh, the sense of ease and spaciousness in our practice. And it's something that we have to just remember. It's there. It's there for each one of us. When we're lost and caught in our habit of striving, our habit of pushing or forcing, um, we forget that it's available to us. But in the moment of remembering, it's possible to encourage a sense of spaciousness. It's possible to really allow for a little bit more ease even when things are really uncomfortable, we can remember to allow there to be an ease surrounding the sense of being uneasy or a sense of, uh, of comfort around the discomfort. This is something that we can remember in our practice. Sometimes we go in the other direction and we get kind of stingy with effort. You know, We're measuring it out in a very, very careful way. And thinking too much about what the rest of the day is going to be like if, you know, if I go to the sitting, then I won't be able to get a rest then. If I sit every sitting today, then I'll be really conked out tomorrow. If I have a little bit of extra energy and I want to sit a little longer, um, then I won't be able to get up in the morning. And, you know, everyone has their own level of energy, too. And, uh... A way of working with things so I'm not suggesting any particular models or anything like that but just to look at the style one has you know, just to look at somehow sometimes how we can be a little bit overly um, controlling and a little bit overly careful when there's a lot more that's available to us. The Buddha used an example of, um, in terms of effort as being like a stick that you throw into the water that makes its way to the sea if it doesn't get caught on the sides of the river. So you're throwing the stick into the fast-moving river and then it naturally, inevitably, makes its way to the sea unless it gets caught up in the brambles on the side or, you know, takes too long of a siesta or um, gets caught up in a rock or whatever, you know, and is just lying there doing nothing. Uh, some degree of of this effort to turn towards the present moment uh, is what frees the stick, kind of allows it to kind of go down the banks again and make its way to the sea. The sea, of course, being liberation or freedom. The next one is mindfulness. Mindfulness is connecting with the present moment. So effort is the uh, willingness to actually let go and turn towards the present moment over and over again. And then once we've turned towards, mindfulness is connecting with our experience. It's a non-judgmental observation, a non-judgmental willingness to see whatever it is that's occurring. Mindfulness is being awake to each moment's experience in a totally fresh way, in a totally new way, each time. Not as if we think we already know, because that's not mindfulness, that's thinking. Thinking that we already know is, is thinking. Yeah, thinking that we already know, obviously, is thinking. So to see if it's possible to be quite fresh and awake and sensitive, aware of the various subtleties and nuances from moment to moment that are occurring. Mindfulness accepts all experiences as being equal. There's no sense of hierarchy with mindfulness that one thing is more important than any other thing. It's really seeing everything as being equal. Right now, of course, we're working very strongly with the body-breath experience. But we're doing this to be able to develop the next power of mind, which is that of concentration. But in working with the body-breath experience in as strong a way as we are right now, there isn't a sense of hierarchy. There isn't a sense of the body and the breathing being more important than any other aspect of experience. It's just really a way to allow for this gradual coming down to occur, this gradual coming into our life to occur. Being aware without interpretation, being aware without evaluating, being aware without assessing, without getting caught in ideas about success or failure seeing if we can bring a very pure awareness into each moment. There is a very strong degree in mindfulness of open-heartedness. It can't be this kind of cool uh, sense of being aware. There has to be some degree of being open-hearted to whatever our experience may be. We can be open-hearted to feeling quite close to our experience that's fine. But that is being open-hearted. You know, it's being uh, bringing a sense of loving attentiveness into each moment. Being present with the essence of life, rather than being too much preoccupied with the contents, with the conditions, mindfulness allows ourselves to allows us to be a little bit more free from conditions from ideas about how things are from the past, actually, because mindfulness is always and only happening in the present moment. It can't happen outside of the present moment. It's quite different than ordinary attentiveness, meditative attentiveness. is really very, very different than the ordinary kind of attentiveness we may have in life. Ordinary attentiveness, always has some kind of agenda. It always has a certain idea of what we'll try to get or what we'll try to get rid of. And, of course, this is quite human. This is our conditioning to be like this. Meditative attentiveness, which is what we're all learning about, doesn't have any kind of an agenda. Meditative attentiveness really has just simply the agenda you, can, you might be able to call this an agenda, but it's not really. An agenda, um, which is that to see the truth, you know, to see things exactly as they are, however which way they may be. Ordinary attention picks and chooses what it wants to look at. It chooses um, according to our conditioning. And meditative attentiveness really uh, doesn't pick or choose at all. It's open and embracing of whatever it is that's occurring. So there's a willingness or a yearning in meditative attentiveness to understand deeply how things are. Not so much to try to control, not so much to try to fix or try to figure things out, but really the willingness to see, the willingness to understand. Mindfulness very much serves life itself. It doesn't serve the self in a narrow way. It serves life. Since we're part of life, of course it serves us. It serves everything that it touches. But it doesn't serve one person and not another. And it doesn't serve um, any sense of, of a personal agenda. It very much serves life. The Buddha said, do not pursue the past. Do not lose yourself in the future. The past no longer is. The future has not yet come. Looking deeply at life as it is in the very here and now, the practitioner dwells in stability and freedom. So this is what we're cultivating. This is what we're nourishing. The next is concentration, which means sustaining mindfulness we're interested in developing and cultivating mindfulness and then concentration is the sustaining of mindfulness the sustaining of attention it means power of mind or strength of heart it brings about an enormous inner vitality and power so that we can see more deeply It's a sense of unification, of collecting all the different energies together. You know, instead of the mind being preoccupied and over here and over there and all over the place and in the past and the future, with concentration there's a sense of collecting all of these different energies together and then using this power to be able to see more deeply. It's actually a fullness of heart. There's a sense of fullness of heart when there is uh, the intention towards concentration. When the concentration begins to deepen and develop, there is a natural source of happiness that arises. And this happiness that arises because of concentration is really important because it allows us to see that happiness is not just dependent on good or bad conditions. You now it's something that each one of us has available to us within through the development of the practice so it's actually really really fundamental and really important for us to nourish it also concentration also helps the mind to be able to stay still it helps the heart to be able to bear with all experiences and obviously, this is something that is a developing kind of process because uh, we, get, we get afraid and intimidated by particular inner experiences that are occurring. But as the concentration grows, uh, there is a sense inwardly of the heart gradually developing uh, a sense of being strong enough to bear with the enormous ups and downs in life, the enormous Areas that all of us, as human beings, experience. Uh, so it, so it, it actually strengthens the heart muscle when we develop concentration. It also disentangles, very gradually, it disentangles the mind from its addiction to thinking, you know, its conditioned addiction to thought. In a very, very gentle way, uh, there is this kind of disentangling that occurs the example sometimes used of concentration is that of a candle that has, is, is lit, a lit candle, but is not by a breeze. So the light of the candle doesn't flicker. It's totally steady. It's totally stable. As an example of concentration, the flames burn steadily without flickering. There's a calmness, there's a stillness. There's no inner wind, there's no wind occurring. And the last is wisdom, which is seeing into things exactly as they are. In a sense, knowing what's what. And the last is wisdom, which is seeing into things exactly as they are. In a sense, knowing what's what. Not not getting deluded by the seeming appearance of things, but knowing how things are for ourselves. Wisdom isn't something that another person can give us. It's not accumulated knowledge. It's something that each one of us touches within and is available to all of us. It's recognizing our true Buddha nature. It's really touching Uh, freedom, wisdom, compassion inside. It's touching the heart that is totally free from torment. Sometimes we touch this just, just for a tiny second. You know, maybe, maybe once a year we touch this. This is important. However much we touch it, it's important. And this is the development of wisdom, is touching this sense of the heart that is free from torment. With wisdom, we are aware of what's appropriate. What's appropriate doesn't have anything to do with with the conventional of what's appropriate. It also doesn't have to do with being unconventional. It's really a sense of appropriate action, knowing from moment to moment, having the confidence to allow for a sense of fluidity. So we don't have fixed ideas about what it means to be wise. If we have fixed ideas about what it means to be wise, usually we're going around with a whole lot of delusion. So instead, the fluidity to allow our natural intelligence to be applied to whatever situation we find ourselves in, that's what I mean by appropriate. Discerning what brings happiness and discerning what brings suffering and attempting to live in accordance to what we know. not out of sync with what we know, but in accordance to what we know. We begin to see very clearly how things are changing from moment to moment, and so we begin to see that whenever we're attempting to hold on or to cling to anything, that it's a problem. We begin to see that in the willingness over and over to let go and to trust what we fall into. And it's not just simply a sense of letting go. It's letting go and trusting what we're falling into. That gradually this enormous happiness takes root in the heart. Wisdom very much is an intuitive understanding of how things are. We undergo a radical, very, very physical, now, sometimes we think of meditation as not being very physical, because we use the word mindful all the time, um, but in actuality, it's enormously physical, and, um, and very much a cellular transformation. You know, and this is what I'm meaning by coming very gradually and gently down into our lives, very gently and gradually down into what we think we know, or I'm sorry, out of what we think we know out of concept, out of beliefs, out of coming to conclusions, and seeing if we can rest more and more in the natural state of wisdom. It's the dissolving of what's unreal. And it's, it's really letting go of everything we've claimed as being who we are, of, of all aspects of ourselves that we've... We've spent so much energy and time in defending as being who we are and being quite, quite willing to, uh, to open, to, to allow for there to be a certain innocence or a certain way of beginning anew in the present moment. In working with the balancing of these powers of mind, uh, usually it's talked about as as faith and wisdom having to be balanced and then concentration and effort having to be balanced and when they're askew in some way, as I said before, our life being askew. Now, when faith is stronger than wisdom, when there's a lot of faith and there's not enough wisdom, usually there's a sense of there being too much excitement you know, in, in in everything that we do. A sense of blind faith, and being kind of overly excited about things without it being backed up by anything. Clinging to ideas and experiences. And not really seeing that everything comes and goes, so getting quite um, fixed on particular thrilling ideas or experiences. Someone I know in Cambridge is um, is the editor for one of the magazines in the area that has a lot of articles around about healing and about new age ideas and um, crystals and you know a lot of different things like this and different kinds of meditation. And she, is, she just told me the other day that she uh, doesn't want anything to do with anything spiritual anymore. She feels like she's becoming a totally unspiritual person because everything that she's having to edit um, can't be backed up by anything. You know, it's all these, these ideas, these very thrilling, um, nice ideas if they were true, wonderful ideas if they were true, but not being backed up by any, any degree of fact. And, of course, this is bound to be, at some point, quite disappointing for us, if we're holding a lot of, of ideas. And kind of the better the idea, the worse it is, in a way, um, because the disappointment is going to be strong. But instead, seeing if we can test out the ideas that we have, being willing to risk and to examine the belief systems that we have, the ideas we have about how the world is, about how, how spirituality is or what it is to be a spiritual person, and then being willing to kind of put our body behind our ideas, behind our aspirations, and test out how we think things are. When faith overpowers wisdom, sometimes there's a sense of believing that things are real, that that actually are not so real. And one example could be kind of like being in a relationship that's not really healthy and not getting out of it. You know, too much faith and not enough discernment. When there's faith without enough energy, actually, um, nothing much happens. You know, it's not being backed up by any degree of effort or energy so there's a flatness and there's a sense of being disappointed over and over again by life however that's better than faith with energy but without wisdom because when this is so there's a lot of of energy but this is when um, you know tyrants are kind of born because um, there is a strong degree of intolerance when wisdom is stronger than faith when there's more wisdom than there is faith generally there's too much thinking occurring you know the mind is just kind of going on and on and on excessively trying to figure things out excessively trying to figure ourselves out excessively trying to figure out this this very kind of mysterious world that we live in and there can be when there's um there's too much wisdom, and there's not enough faith, a sense of, of the mind being a little bit shallow or superficial, or overly judgmental, overly critical. Not trusting our actual experience. You know, Wisdom really invites us to trust our actual experience. And faith is what allows us to actually touch what our actual experience is. When they're together, they work together in a very beautiful kind of way. But when there's too much wisdom, um, we're not really in in touch with what our actual experience is. There's the tendency to live just in our mind and not to live in what we actually know to be true. There's a sense of everything being disappointing because our, our practice isn't living up to what we've read about. When the... Balance between effort and concentration is askew. When there's more effort than concentration, there's a sense of the mind being restless and agitated, waiting for something to happen, really wanting something to happen, obsessively thinking about the past and about the future. Wanting to experience the fruits of practice but not being able to settle back into the moment. So the mind racing ahead you know, in a very agitated way, racing ahead, when actually we need to settle back. That's actually what needs to happen, is a settling back. When there's more concentration than effort, there's a sense of being drowsy or dazed. I remember the first time I heard this and I was thinking, you know, how could there ever be too much concentration, too much concentration over effort? And there can't be. But when they're not balanced, when they're not together, when they're not in harmony, then there is a tendency for the mind to become drowsy or or inert or to kind of float. What helps so much when uh, the mind is like this, either too agitated, um, too excited, um, too um, dazed, too, too much floatiness, is to work very carefully with the walking. The walking helps enormously. And remembering that mindfulness is actually the key to balancing all of these powers of mind in a very easy way. The, the wonderful thing about mindfulness is you really can't have too much of it. In, in life, always, you know, there's this sense of having to be moderate with everything and uh, too much of something is, is not so great. But with mindfulness, you really can't have too much mindfulness ever. It's never gonna be a problem to have too much mindfulness. And it sees what's out of balance. Yeah. If, if all of this sounds very complex and, and too heady, mindfulness brings it down because mindfulness allows us to see what's out of balance and it immediately sets things right. So mindfulness is what we need to cultivate most. Now, how these powers of mind work together, how they are connected, uh, this is the last area that I want to focus on. Uh, and I, I think this is, um, uh, this is so interesting. There has to be effort, effort I'm sorry, there has to be some degree of faith. There has to be some degree of confidence. Because if there is no degree of confidence, no degree of faith at all, even you know, this, this kind of initial leap of faith, it's not possible there for there to be effort. It's not possible for there to be energy. So whatever degree of faith or confidence, inner confidence, self-confidence, confidence about ourselves being able to practice, confidence about the practice itself, about the possibility of freedom in our lives, this has to be nourished because out of confidence comes the willingness to turn towards the present moment, the willingness to be present And remembering that the effort, the willingness to be present, is this effort to be mindful. It's not the effort to change anything, or to try and fix anything, or try to attain any particular experiences and practice. It's really over and over again the effort to be mindful, the effort to be present with things as they are. And then concentration is the sustaining of mindfulness. And then this is kind of the good news. Wisdom happens inevitably out of concentration and mindfulness. It's not something we have to force or make happen. And actually, it's not something that we can say, okay, I want this amount of wisdom. Or, you know, I'm not going to leave this sitting until I get this much wisdom. I mean, we, we can have these bargains and, and things like this, but, um, but life isn't going to hold us up. Wisdom comes quite naturally and inevitably out of the combination of concentration and mindfulness, sustained um, noticing of the present moment, the willingness to sustain the attention in a loving way from moment to moment. Because when we're present, and when we're present in a continuous way, where we're able to be present and then present and then present and then present, we're open to receiving wisdom in quite a natural way. You know, we're, we're listening. We're not lost or preoccupied in our thoughts. We're not lost and preoccupied in our conditioning. We're open to what uh, the world has to teach us, to what life has to teach us, to this, this kind of funny place that we find ourselves to be as human beings. This willingness to, to receive wisdom only happens when we're present, when we're around for it. You know, if we're caught up or lost in our own ideas about how things should be or how things could be or how things will be, it's not really possible to receive uh, the wisdom that we do receive from life when we're open. So with faith comes the willingness to turn towards our experience. Instead of blindly following the flow of instinct, which is the instinct to try to get more pleasure and to try to avoid or to push away pain, we open to the present moment as it is. The attention with concentration is sustained on our experience. With effort and concentration, there is mindfulness, noticing very subtle aspects of our experience. Mindfulness and concentration is a sustained sense of noticing, and the, re- the natural result is wisdom. Let me end by reading something by Ajahn Chah. It's called Let the Tree Grow. The Buddha taught that with things that come about of their own, once you have done your work, you can leave the results to nature, to the power of your accumulated karma. Yet your exertion of effort should not cease. Whether the fruit of wisdom comes quickly or slowly, you cannot force it, just as you cannot force the growth of a tree you have planted. The tree has its own pace. Your job is to dig a hole, water and fertilize it, and protect it from insects. That much is your affair, a matter of faith. But the way the tree grows is up to the tree. If you practice like this, you can be sure all will be well, and your plant will grow. Thus, you must understand the difference between your work and the plant's work. Leave the plant's business to the plant and be responsible for your own. If the mind does not know what it needs to do, it will try to force the plant to grow and flower and give fruit in one day. This is wrong view, a major cause of suffering. Just practice in the right direction and leave the rest to your karma. Then, whether it takes one or one hundred or 1,000 lifetimes, your practice will be at peace. But may it just take one lifetime. (laughs) May all beings be at ease. May all beings be at peace. May all beings be free from all forms of suffering. Let's sit for just a moment.